Gentlemen, bienvenue and welcome to The Musical Man, the podcast that shines new light on the Tony Award for Best Musical. Each week we examine the nominees and winners of that esteemed decoration, and this week we'll be discussing Pump Boys and Dinettes. Hey, Retta, we'll bring some ice for the cooler and tapes for the Sony cassette. We'll have Bud in the bottle. George Jones and Tammy Wynette. I love Tammy Wynette. A bunch of cold fried chicken and a couple of nice fresh pies. Oh, that sounds good. I got my mind on the blue southern sky. Uh-huh. No hard redder, I'm going to Florida. Won't you come along with me? We'll get the hell out of Dodge and find suitable lodging on the beach at your favorite key. But first, how are we doing? I hope this episode finds you well. I have one thing to say here in the opening segment of this week's episode. I referred to Dolly Parton as Donna in last week's episode, our episode on the best little whorehouse in Texas. Of course, my bad. I'm sorry. I apologize. Coincidentally, Pump Boys and Dinettes has a song about Dolly Parton. What a coinky-dink. How about that? Will you be talking about that song? Now, I won't. Let's get the show facts for Pump Boys and Dinettes. Show me the show facts. Show me the show facts. Show me the show facts. Okay. Pump Boys and Dinettes was a 1982 nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical. It opened on February 4th, 1982 at the Princess Theater and ran for 573 performances. The book, music, and lyrics were written by the Pump Boys and Dinettes. That is the official credit on the IBDB website. The director, well, according to the IBDB website, there is no director. There is no director credited, though Wikipedia states the production was technically directed by the Pump Boys and Dinettes. The same goes for the musical director. No credited musical director on the IBDB, but Wikipedia tells a different story, okay? It's all on the shoulders of the Pump Boys and Dinettes, okay? No choreographer either. N.A. in that regard. Scenic design, Doug Johnson and Christopher Nowak. Lighting design, Fred Bukoltz. Sound design, Bill Dreisbach. And costume design, Patricia McGordy. The original Broadway cast. This is the whole kit and caboodle from top to bottom. Here's the cast. John Foley, Mark Hardwick, Deborah Monk, who also appeared on Broadway as Joanne in the 1995 revival of Company. Yes, Company. We also have Cass Morgan, John Schimmel, and rounding out this cast, Jim Wan. The show's origins can be traced back to The Cattleman, a Manhattan steak saloon where Hardwick and Wan played country standards for the client tell. As their pump boys persona evolved, the duo began to wear matching overalls and incorporate original comedic material into their act. They were ultimately fired for these shenanigans, their tomfoolery, but the collaboration proved successful in the long run. Obviously. So, Tony nods, we only have one nomination, and that is for Best Musical. So, one nomination, Zero awards at the end of the day. I don't think we've ever come across a situation like this before. I find it to be stunning, stunning that the show could be nominated for Best Musical, and yet we do not see it represented in any other category from that award season. Truly stupefying. Let's talk about the plot. Pump Boys and Dinettes is a lot like Forever Plaid or The Marvelous Wondrettes in that it's less of a musical than it is a straight-up concert. All of the songs are presented diegetically by the members of our titular band, Jackson, L.M., Eddie, Jim, and sisters Prudy and Retta Cup. The fellas manage a gas station on North Carolina Highway 57, while the ladies run the Double Cup Diner, which 
which is across from the gas station on Highway 57, okay? The concert is presumably held during their off hours. We never move to another location. The book is limited to banter, and the dramatic stakes are non-existent. In other words, if you're looking to fill a slot in your dinner theater season with a show that won't challenge anyone, Pump Boys and Dinettes is probably a safe bet. I, I say that, but there are a few unsettling diversions, and we'll get into those, believe you me. I've never been a fan of this theatrical sub genre to be clear, retro concert musicals have always struck me as terribly cynical, like they were cooked up in a lab to separate undiscerning senior citizens from their expendable income. I'll never get over how Forever Plaid and The Marvelous Wonderettes both have sequel shows that are set during Christmas, those being Forever Plaid, Plaid Tidings, and Winter Wonderettes. How can we make more money while doing less work? I know, we'll have them sing Christmas songs. For the purposes of this week's episode, I listened to the 1982 original Broadway cast album of Pump, Boys, and Dinettes, and I also watched the 1982 Tony Awards performance of the songs Vacation, No Holds Barred, and Highway 57. Okay, so who boy, uh, how to describe Tony Randall's introduction of this cast, of this performance? How how would I describe it? What is the best word that could be applied to this introduction? Uh, how about, here's a word, miserable? Tony Randall, what's going on with you? You are wearing some sort of brown, shit-colored suit jacket with a gigantic turtleneck sweater. You look like you are about to throw yourself into oncoming traffic. Could you please, could you spice it up a minute for a minute of your life? 60 seconds of your godforsaken life, Tony Randall. Just put a fucking glint of Tinkerbell magic in your fucking eyes and your vocal delivery. I'm Tony Randall, and here we are on the most special night of theater. Blah, blah, blah. Am I done yet? Tony, this is a perfectly fine and unobjectionable performance. Everyone in the cast seems to be having fun, and I appreciate the interplay between Deborah Monk and Cass Morgan. I have other compliments for the women of this cast. Uh, but for now, let's. we have just been barreling through all of this information so quickly. Let's just take a second. Oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm, I'm going to take a sip of five, six, seven, eight coffee before we go into the first song from this deconstruction of ours, the score deconstruction. Okay, do you have your five, six, seven, eight coffee with you? Perhaps we could drink together. Ooh, a toast? Oh, I've always wanted to give a toast. Ah, to you, fair listener. <laughs> Delicious. I swear I'm not as manic as I sound. <laughs> I'm recording this a day earlier than I usually do. I'm recording it on a Friday. Normally I record it on a Saturday morning, but I'm coming fresh off of work. Let's get a bit of the audio from the first song that we're talking about here this week. It is Highway 57. Take it away, me. Highway 57, a place where I was born. Right down the road a piece to the sound of a car horn. Got no use for the big town Too many strings attached to strings I belong to the highway And what the highway brings Oh yeah Well I run this gas station With my partner L.M. I've been nine years together That's him We call ourselves the Pump Boys L.M. Well, we've had our ups and downs, but it's all right working with Jim. Come on in, Jim. What you say, Lamb? How about some coffee? You make it so good. Now, boys, have you been eating like you should? Ain't been to the diner in a day or two. Diner. 
After having listened to the show's opening number a few times, I find it has grown on me somewhat. The homespun, plucky sound of Highway 57 is dorky in an endearing way and feels novel for Broadway. No one else was really offering up this specialty blend of pop and country back in the early 80s, and I can see how Pump Boys would have filled a gap in the marketplace. Was I tired of the goofball Buffett-adjacent twang after 19, 19 count em tracks? Most definitely. But that doesn't change the fact that Highway 57 is a strong way to kick things off. The best element, and this holds true for most of the songs found in Pump Boys, is Deborah Monk and Cass Morgan as Prudy and Retta Cup. They are equally matched when it comes to vocal versatility and punch, and their initial entrance raises the temperature of this song and of the entire band. I can take or leave the men of this cast. They essentially blend together to form a white guy mash, but I can't go without the slick soprano stylings of Monk and Morgan. Monk and Morgan! They are absolutely the reason I returned to this track as often as I did. Good suffers from an identity crisis that we'll explore properly a few tracks down the line, but for the sake of table setting, I should point out how the show is never more comfortable with itself than when it's discussing everyday subjects. Menu Song proves to be the high point of the show because it cracks the code on making the mundane feel magical. The number oozes with atmosphere and left me starving for everything the Double Cup Diner had to offer. I can picture the booths and the silverware and the blush and bashful decorating scheme. I can smell the bread and the pies, and I am falling over myself at the prospect of gooey cheese grits. Hell, I'm a vegetarian who never had a hankering for fish, even when I did eat meat. But I'll be damned if these freshly caught fish they're singing about don't sound amazing. Look, I am always hungry. I miss a cozy diner something fierce, but make no mistake, out of the entire score, this is easily the best song in terms of writing and its ability to elicit an honest-to-God strong reaction. The power of menu song is real, y'all. Do not sleep on it. Don't.
unfortunate that our coverage of Pump Boys and Dinettes would come just one week after I wrote a love letter to the best little whorehouse in Texas, because despite its apparent interest in cracking the country western charts, a song like The Best Man simply can't compete with the likes of A Girl You're a Woman or Hard Candy Christmas. It comes down to authenticity, which I realize is a nebulous distinction, but the best man feels like it came off an assembly line. The music would barely pass muster in a lounge setting, and the lyrics are a combination of cookie-cutter and confounding. Quote, I used to have a crush on a TV star till he got into movies. Once I went out with a guy with a van that belonged to the Flamin' Groovies. But he ran off with a burger queen, and I was oh so mad. But you're the best man I never had, quote. Okay. No offense to Deborah Monk, but where is the soul? Her vocals are pleasant enough, but there needs to be at least one element on this track that doesn't sound prepackaged. I'm falling asleep over here. Side note, the Dolly Parton song I'm choosing to skip over, which is known as The Night Dolly Parton Was Almost Mine, that actually broke into the Billboard Hot Country Songs chart and topped out at number 67. Go figure. Now some folks out there spend their whole lives in prayer. Good luck has got to come from somewhere. We imbibed to the dregs on wobbly legs and prayed this fisherman's prayer. Let us bow our heads. Give me the strength to get up at dawn. Help me get out of bed. Give me the vision to find my rod. And real Show me the righteous way to my shoes Pardon the path I tread Bless, O Lord, thy fish my evening me I am confused as to the overall mission of a song like Fisherman's Prayer. The first half has a haunting, mythical quality to it, as if some ancient keeper of a legend has appeared before us to speak, or sing, I should say, sing, of Vikings or medieval knights. And the prayer itself is maybe the most gentle, inoffensive bit of pablum I've ever heard in my life. If you told me the lyrics were wiped, swiped, I should say swiped, from a cross stitch someone saw hanging over a Cracker Barrel toilet, it wouldn't surprise me in the least. Hey, y'all got that Fisherman's Prayer on a t-shirt? My brother would just love that. I'm sure there are many people who enjoy both Broadway and fishing. I'm sure they love Broadway as much as they love fishing. And if they derive nominal, even nominal pleasure from Fisherman's Prayer, I won't spoil their fun. Far be it from me. Not everything is for me. I accept that. Well, it's springtime. Carolina going fishing on the river. Well, I don't want no brim or crappy. Only one thing make me happy. Catfish on my line. Catfish tastes so fine. Catfish all night long. Catfish what I want. Well, old man Bass, he's pretty good. That ain't no When it's midnight, we'll be cooking in the moonlight, nobody looking. Well, there's only one kind of fish I chase, the one with the mustache on his face. I want catfish on my line. See, Catfish is a song I understand. It's about catfish. 
and the people who like to eat catfish. We're not elevating the topic of catfish to the heights of King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. We're simply saying, you know, that catfish have funny mustaches, moustaches. There is nothing wrong with wanting to pop off a dozen thematic variations on Cheeseburger in Paradise. There is no shame in that. Catfish is a fun song. Musicals are allowed to just be fun. It's not easy to be fun for 90 minutes. We don't need you to prove anything else to us. What's that? Oh, you have a song about your grandmother's funeral? Uh, I mean, okay, sure. Let's hear it. You never lacked for nothing And you kept me the same I was a child And you were growing old Mama let you love me And you staked your claim I was a child In your household Well, I heard you once drank some whiskey And you let me fall I couldn't bend more than a year old After that you didn't touch no whiskey at all I was a child in your household On a winter hillside we all recite the scriptures of belief My brother standing by my side is The identity crisis I mentioned a while back is on full display when Mama, Mama, Mama. <laughs> I'm sure that sounded terrible. Oh, the identity crisis is on full display when this song appears on the scene. Mama is a sneak attack disguised as a loving eulogy, and I do not respect its ridiculous attempts at manipulation. Pick a lane, pump boys. You can't spend 95% of your time in Margaritaville and ask us to dedicate the remaining 5% to your mental health issues. Did I ask to hear about the time Mama got drunk on whiskey and dropped you as a baby? Do you think we have achieved a level of camaraderie that would make this admission acceptable? It's not acceptable. You are making me uncomfortable. Can anyone explain why the line, I was a child in your household, serves as a minor refrain, I was a child in your household. That's a strangely detached observation for a song that is eagerly marinating in grief. I was a child in your household, Dave. Would you like me to sing the Mama song? Mama, Mama! Tune-ups, tune-ups, gas for less. Gold beer, gold reefer, your choice. Your oil is fine. Could you use a little moonshine? We keep America rolling. We're the Pump Boys. Oh, we're the Pump Boys from Highway 57. A little roadside gas station is what we run. Let's talk about sequencing, shall we? Uh-oh, Mr. Shallowy is back and he has a bone to pick with this week's subject. Let's talk about sequencing, shall we? The library is open, so the clip you just heard is from the song Pump Boys, which aims to introduce us to the Pump Boys. Yeah, here's my issue. This is the 11th track on the album. This is categorically preposterous. It's like the team behind this show is going out of its way, their way, to activate my OCD tendencies. Highway 57 is already doing the job of defining the parameters of your musical. We do not need another song that establishes Jackson, LM, Eddie, and Jim as gas station attendants. We know this. We've processed this info. I, I have that down. But if you must retain the Pump Boys song, 
Why wouldn't you position it as the direct follow-up to Highway 57? Tracks 1 through 3 should be as follows. Track number 1, Highway 57. Track number 2, Pump Boys. Track number 3, Menu Song. All right? There is no debate here. And if I were saddled with the task of directing this piece, that would be my first major decision. Anyone who disagrees can head for the door. not having had a haircut since March is that one's hair becomes too long for a conical director's cap. I place the cap on my head and it slides off, you see, because my hair is too long, it's so long, and it's too lustrous, it's so lustrous. A gift can also be a curse, I'll have you know. That said, just imagine the conical director's cap sitting next to me as I move into, transition into, segue into this next bit. My chief concern with pump boys and dinettes is as such, and this would be addressed by my production. The scope is too limited, okay? We need to pull back and reveal more of the world in which these characters reside, and by doing so, we more fully embrace what theater as a medium has to offer. But what does that mean? What does that look like? It's very basic. These ideas are hardly revolutionary. Step one, okay? Design a set that isn't merely a bandstand, but a true blue environment where this concert takes place. I don't care if it's the gas station or the diner or a dreamlike combination of the two. Just establish that we are anywhere other than the theater I stepped into. Take me somewhere. Theater is supposed to be transportive. Step two. Flesh out the cast with a dance ensemble, okay? Expand the cast. Eight to ten people in this ensemble. Tops. Dress them up as patrons of the double cup. Dress them up as mechanics and waitresses and tourists and business types and have them operate as the primary audience for the band, for the concert. I can't listen to a song like Mona, which you just heard, and not imagine people dancing to it. We simply must have dancing. I want to see this ensemble cutting up the proverbial rug. And the great thing about an ensemble is how they would inevitably boost the enthusiasm of theatergoers, of your audience. If the actors are hooting and hollering, it would only add to the celebratory atmosphere of the piece. How can you lose? Pump Boys and Dinettes does not have to be small. It does not have to operate on the level of cruise ship entertainment, so long as you pick up and use the tools that are at your disposal, okay? Don't be cheap, okay? Okay. Build a set. Hire dancers. Could we go back to when we were children? The best of sisters, but never friends. You were a stranger then. You are a stranger. I had to 
be strong But sometimes I'd hurt you Just to make you cry So that someone would need me The identity crisis is back, baby. Back with a vengeance and more embarrassing than ever before. I rightly assumed... Sister would be about, the song you just heard was Sister. I assumed Sister would be about Prudy and Rudda's relationship, but I had no clue that relationship would be so terribly fraught. Let's take another look at those lyrics. Example number one, quote, Could we go back to when we were children? The best of sisters, but never friends. You were a stranger then. You are a stranger now. Could we ever be children again? Quote, Example number two, quote, When mama would spank us because she thought we did wrong, I'd keep my tears to myself. I thought I had to be strong. But sometimes I'd hurt you just to make you cry so that someone would need me, quote. I thought Prudy and Retta were going to sing about, I don't know, swinging on tires and birthday parties and flirting with boys. You cannot keep springing this psychological warfare on me, pump boys. It's not right. It's not okay, okay? Let me get this straight. These women were the best of sisters, but they were never friends. They are not friends. And they're still not friends to this day. They run a diner. What are you talking about? They sing side by side in a band. They exchange playful repartee. Yes, but there were times when I would hurt you, sister. Oh, how I loved to watch those tears slide, slide, how they would slide down your chubby little cheeks. In those fleeting moments, I knew the true meaning of power. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could be children again? No, it would not. This can only end in a double homicide. Jesus Christ. Un, deux, trois, quatre. The sun is hot, it burns all day, but I don't need no band of soleil. I'm on the sand, girls at hand, I've got a secret plan. What's your secret plan? The sun don't hurt, cause I got on a t-shirt. Got a farmer tan Farmer tan On my neck and arms Farmer tan The secret of my charms Every girl wants a man With a farmer tan Farmer tan When I go swimming With brown young women They fall all over themselves the entire show march to the drum of songs like Catfish or Farmer Tan. You know what you're getting with a song like Farmer Tan. It's about having a farmer tan. It's not about having a farmer tan as well as that one time you accidentally struck your uncle with the bad end of a broken bottle and after three surgeries he still can't see out of one eye. It's not about having a farmer tan as well as that one time a hurricane came through town and wrecked a school bus filled with children, only one of whom survived and is now mute. It's not about having a farmer tan as well as that one time a serial killer was on the loose, but you were too busy dealing with a failed marriage to keep track of his victims. Why don't you love me anymore, Shetland? Because every time I look at you, I see my ma and your pa making love. What we have ain't right, Buretta. Uh, but seriously, farmer tan is sort of a bop. Pull the twin garage doors down Coil the air hose tight Fill the sugars, mop the floors Leave a light on, leave on a light 
closing time Closing time Closing for the evening I'll see you when you stop this way again Closing time Closing for the evening Closing time Closing for the evening Closing for the evening See you when you stop this way again Knocking off I got $22 and one dime What'll that buy? Tank of gas But you can pay tomorrow Cause it's closing time tell you what, closing time is not doing it for me in terms of a finale. Shouldn't we be bringing the curtain down on a banger? Or maybe a medley of the more up-tempo numbers? God knows the theater loves a mega mix. Yeah, I'm sorry, but my production of Pump Boys and Dinettes would not go out like this. Uh-uh, get out the scissors, cut it, cut it, cut it! We're giving the musical director a big, big bonus, and they are composing a medley for us. I don't care. Shut up. Fuck you. We're leaving on a high-spirited note if it kills me. We were thinking of lulling the audience to sleep. Why would you do that? I'm in charge now. I am the captain. Tell the truth. That does it for our deconstruction of the Pump Boys and Dinette score. We are now going to get a word from our sponsor, 5678 Coffee. Take it away, 5678 Coffee. Oh, hello there. I haven't seen you down here in the mines. What's your name then? Oh, hello. Very nice to meet you. I'm Billy. Billy Elliot. You might have seen me about town. I'm, I'm a little bit famous around here, you know. You might have seen me working on my jitties or my pirouettes. Huh? I'm a bit of a dancer, but, you know, my da brings me down to the mines ever since I, ever since I turned 12, my da says, I'm old enough to come down to the mines and be of some use. Here I am guarding the mine. I, I'm really a, a safety expert when it when it comes down to it. I'm also a bit of a bit of a wait, waiter. It's, it's fun, it's fun. I, I carry around a tray with a little cups, a little styrofoam cups. There's a styrofoam products factory in our town as well as this here gold mine. I fill up the cups, I should say, with five, six, seven, eight coffee. And I dance about the mines. And the men are so delighted by my dancing. And, and they watch me dance as they drink their five, six, seven, eight coffee. And they say to me, you're a special sort of person, Billy. And if it weren't for you, the only thing that will give us comfort down here in these darkened mines is this five, six, seven, eight coffee. And I say, I blush and I say, oh, God. And they say, what do you mean, Billy? And I say, oh, God. My eyes roll into the back of me head and I say, oh, God. And then I do a pirouette or a jeté and we all laugh. And it's me, you know, it's fun. We have fun down here in the, in the mine. But really, my main job, as I said, is safety inspector. I'm supposed to be watching this little canary. And my dad says that the canary will let me know if something's amiss or right in the mine. And I just, I love this little friend of mine. Go ahead, take a look, take a closer look at this beautiful bird. Beautiful bird, it's so bright and yellow like a buttercup daisy. And it's been taking a nap for about, oh, I'd say six hours now. We've been down here for nearly a full work day. And the, the canary is, the canary is just taking a nice little nap. And I, I just love that. But I don't want to keep you from your job, good sir and or miss. It's dark in here and gender's a spectrum. It's very nice to meet you again. Billy Elliot here. If you ever need a dancer or a choreographer in your time, give me a call. Here's my card. It's really just a piece of coal that the letter B, the letter B has been carved into it by me fingernails. All right, goodbye. And remember, 5678 coffee, you can count on it. Oh, what a nice individual that person was. Oh, little canary, I love you, and I'm going to dance for you. I am. It's a little hard to breathe down here, isn't it? Final thoughts regarding Pump Boys and Dinettes. Pump Boys and Dinettes is quite possibly the most harmless musical we will ever discuss on this podcast. Occasional detours into disturbing emotional waters aside, the show is clearly going out of its way to remain as ineffectual and insubstantial as vapor. 
So why should I bother giving it a second glance? And why, why would any actor bother learning? Why? Why would any actor bother learning these intricate harmonies and instrumental arrangements just so a crowd can applaud politely in the face of their efforts? Not worth it. Do not waste the time of anyone on either side of the divide. Now, in 1982, the Tony Award for Best Musical went to nine, and the additional nominees that year were Dreamgirls, Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and, of course, <laughs> I don't normally reiterate the subject that we're tackling this week, but, of course, Pump Boys and Dinettes was rounding out that set. Now, there was a moment where I thought to myself, did Pump Boys really deserve a nomination if it wasn't nominated in any other Tony category? And I grew curious, I don't mean to start doing this out of habit, but I did look at all of the shows from that season that were snubbed when it comes to the best musical nominations. Those shows were as follows. Do black patent leather shoes really reflect up? That was one of them. Here's another one. Is there life after high school? Here's another one. The First, a musical known as The First. And the other show that was snubbed that season was Marlowe. So maybe Pump Boys did deserve a nomination for Best Musical when you compare it to the likes of these. These bad news bears. I don't know, maybe the first is amazing. Maybe Marlowe is amazing. I've heard a little bit of do black patent leather shoes really reflect up. That is a nightmare show. That is a nightmare show. I don't want to go anywhere near it. No, thank you. Is there life after high school? Is there life after high school? I have to assume that's also bad. <laughs> I'm just going to make that leap. Take that leap with me. Let's rank Pump Boys and Dinettes against all of the other shows we've talked about here on the podcast. Now, as always, you can follow us on Twitter at MusicalManPod. Go to our likes. The first tweet you will see in that likes section. Click on it. It'll take you to a Google Sheet. Go to the second tab of that Google Sheet, and you will, you will see the ranking of all of the shows, how they stand up against each other. I am going to put Pump Boys and Dinettes in our number 59 slot. That is between Blues in the Night at number 58 and The Goodbye Girl at number 60. Okay, all right, fantastic. Show-related ephemera. I was hoping to find footage from Pump Boys and Dinettes on television a pilot that aired on NBC in August of 1983, but it seemingly doesn't exist online and is not represented on the Internet Movie Database, which is crazy. A review from the New York Times described the pilot as pleasant enough and entirely harmless, quote-unquote. Sounds about right. I'm sure we all remember these lyrics from earlier, quote, Once I went out with a guy with a van that belonged to the Flamin' Groovies, but he ran off with a Burger Queen, and I was oh so mad. But you're the best man I never had, quote. Let's unpack that a bit. The Flamin' Groovies are not a fictional band, as I once thought. My apologies to anyone who is intimately familiar with the Flamin' Groovies. They started out as an American rock band based out of San Francisco and released three albums before shifting to a British invasion sound. Can you believe that? Traitors to their country, the lot of them. I'm kidding. I don't care. What I do care about are the names they chose for their albums, many of which are quite lame. They started with Super Snaz in 1969, Flamingo 1970, Teenage Head in 1971. Gross. That's not, I'm just saying, gross. That's not another album title. Gross is just what I'm saying. Shake Some Action, 1976. Flamin' Groovies, Now, 1978. Jumpin' in the Night, 1979. One Night Stand in 1987. Big leap between 1979 and 1987. Took a vacation, I guess. Rock Juice, in 1992, fuck off with that title, Rock Juice. And then finally, in 2017, they released Fantastic Plastic. Assorted tracks from these albums include Rockin' Pneumonia and the Boogie Woogie Flu, Pagan Rachel, Second Cousin, Jailbait, Evil-Hearted Ada, Whiskey Woman, Teenage Confidential, Absolutely Sweet Marie, 5D, 
Flying Saucers Rock and Roll, and Crazy Macy. I have a hard time believing Prudy Cup was into the flaming Groovies. When it comes to the phrase Burger Queen, I'm sort of at a loss. The Druthers chain of fast food restaurants was known as Burger Queen from the mid-1950s through the early 80s, so this could be a reference to some floozy who worked at a Burger Queen. On a related note, I am not a fan of the Burger Queen mascot. That would be Queenie Bee. Queenie Bee talks way too fast and is always speaking in rhyme, as you are about to hear. Big things are cooking at Burger Queen, from food to fun and in between. So if you really want to see, just follow me. I'm Queenie Bee. You're a very best friend, you know it's true. So there's always a special prize just for you. Like a big, bright balloon to pull on a string. Or how about a really neat Queenie Bee ring? A yummy good treat, like a sweet honeysuckle or a Queenie Bee puppet to make you all chuckle. Each prize is as fun as a Burger Queen meal, and it's yours for keeps. Now that's a great deal. There's fun every day, as you've just seen, because big things are cooking at Burger Queen. Queenie Bee is a cartoon bee with a tiny crown and a big butt. The whole effect is quite unsettling. Anyway, to determine what... Oh, okay. All right. So if you really want to see, just follow me. I'm Queenie Bee. There's some special excitement waiting for you that Burger Queen and your mom can do. A Burger Queen party on your special day lets us say happy birthday the Burger Queen way. A Burger Queen birthday with all your friends there with cake and games and fun to spare. You're a very best friend. You know it's true. So with mom's help, we'll plan a party for you. There's fun every day as you've just seen because big things are cooking at Burger Queen. Are we done? If there's a third... We can just play it now. If there's a third commercial waiting in the wings, there's no need for another interruption. That's just rude. No? We're sure about that? No more surprises? Fine. To determine which show we discuss next, we'll need to take a ride on the musical carousel, otherwise known as the random number generator I named after that classic Rogers and Hammerstein show, I Lost My Map to Rancho Cucamonga. Everyone ready? Then away we go. Okie we have landed in the year 1987. This was a nominee for the Tony Award for Best Musical, and it ran for 761 performances. It's time! It's time for us to talk about Starlight Express. All aboard! Everyone jump on my caboose! We're talking about trades, baby! Singing trains! If you're not familiar with Starlight Express... That's what the show's about. Singing trains who race each other. Vroom, vroom! I mean, toot, toot! (laughs) Okay, so that's the subject for next week's episode. Go to patreon.com slash musicalmanpod to find out how you can support the show financially. As a reminder, 100% of every monthly payout is donated to the Black Lives Matter organization. So if you donate via Patreon, you are supporting both the show and Black Lives Matter. You can donate $1, $3, $5, or $10 a month. If you donate $1 a month, you get Monday early access to all of these main feed episodes. You get a verbal shout-out each and every week. Let's do that now. Thank you for donating. Jared, Eli, David, Dave, Christopher, Neil, Brian, Robin, Liz, Carrie, Maddie, Jonathan, Marques, Rob, Shauna, Shiante, Roberto, Jordan, Ashley, Chris, JC, Jenna, Aaron, Lily, Haley, Brandon, Brad, Matt, Zach, and Marisol. You also get bonus episodes regarding the 73rd Annual Tony Awards, the trailer for the film Cats, ABC's The Little Mermaid Live, a review of the film Cats, a review of the stage production Emma, a review of Take Me to the World, a Sondheim 90th birthday celebration, and a review of Hamilton via Disney Plus. Coming October 21st, our deconstruction of Documentary Now, original cast album, co-op. And coming November 18th, huh? our deconstruction of John Mulaney and the Sack Lunch Bunch. You have those two to look forward to. But I'm not done yet. $1 a month tier donors also get season one, 12 episodes of Radio Boy, and access to monthly episodes of M3, The Movie Musical Man. That is a monthly series for which I watch 
watch trios, trilogies of movie musicals that are tied by a common theme. Coming September 30th, the final Wednesday of this month, we are going to be doing the Tune Trilogy. The theme is animation this month, so we're going to be talking about Gay Paris, Anastasia, and Ugly Dolls. But let's say you got a few more bucks in your wallet. Let's say you donate $3 a month. Well, you get everything I've already described, plus a musical shout-out in the style of a character, actor, or composer of your choosing. You also get Season 1, 10 episodes of Wildcats Everywhere, and coming very soon, this might already actually be out by the time this episode drops. Actually, no. Okay, this episode is going to be available to $1 a month and up patrons via early access, and on that same Monday, on that same Monday, you're going to get $3 a month. We'll get you our, our retrospective special on Julie and the Phantoms, the new Kenny Ortega Netflix musical show. I'm recording that episode right after this. I'm going into it right after this. But let's say you donate $5 a month. You get everything I've already described. Plus, you get to stop the musical carousel and determine what show I discuss here on the podcast. You also get 12 episodes, season one of All I Ask of You, the advice show hosted by the Phantom of the Opera, season two coming in October of this year. You get access to our ongoing review series of Broadway and Chicago productions, and you get Shout About It, volume one. That is a collection of five, six, seven, eight ads and musical shout outs from the first 25 episodes of the podcast. And finally, if you donate $10 a month, you get everything I've already described, plus Season 1, 12 episodes of The Snub Club. That is a series for which I talk about Broadway musicals that were not nominated, never nominated for the Tony Award for Best Musical. If you're listening to the show via Apple Podcasts, please take a moment to leave a five-star review. You might be streaming us through Spotify or Stitcher or Podbean. That's musicalmanpod.podbean.com. Follow us on Twitter at musicalmanpod and email us at musicalmanpod at gmail.com. Thanks, as always, to Patty and Benny, Alex Green for our beautiful logo, and Zach Little for our fabulous music. You know what that sound means? Yes, just when the fun is starting comes the time for parting. Oh, well. We'll catch up some other time, specifically on the next episode of The Musical Man. So long, farewell, off Wiedersehen, and good night. (laughs) 